I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to Lit and Libations. This is Audra. Hi, Audra. How are you, Sadie? Sadie. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) So kind of a fun episode today. We are going to be doing a reading of The Rime of the Ancient Mariner by Mm -hmm. Samuel Taylor Coleridge and then discussing it. So if you didn't pick up a copy, as we asked you to, suggested, you'll get to hear it from us. Yes. (laughs) So hopefully, hopefully you enjoy our our dramatic reading of the rhyme of the ancient mariner and then our discussion. Um, but before we get into that first, I apologize. I have a cold. So if I sound a little <laughs> funny or you hear some sniffles, I'm very sorry. I know that's annoying, but I don't know what else to do about it. Um, our next book that we'll be discussing is called the power of the dog by Thomas Savage. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this with you, Sadie, and just to talk about it. I really, really, really liked it and then there's a netflix movie out with about it or not about it a movie adaptation version thank you um with benedict benedict cumberback <laughs> benedict um, cumberbatch <laughs> thank you i like i watched the trailer of it and it looks like it should be pretty good um so yeah i'm excited to discuss it so that'll be our next book so go out and pick up a copy from your local bookstore so that you can be prepped for that it's a it's like not a difficult read okay um at, at all like especially language wise so kind of a uh maybe a nice little palate cleanser from the last two things we've been discussing because nice the language is a little bit more challenging i suppose uh-huh. um what are you what's your libation i know that uh, you said brian made you an elaborate cocktail so i'm excited to hear about this well it's more elaborate than i think our usual he made me something called a harvey Wallbanger. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Such a little mixologist. I know. I love it. He's so good at it. So um, we had some Luxardo cherries and some oranges. So he made me this drink. So the base of it is vodka. And then you do freshly squeezed orange juice. And then you mix it over like crushed ice. And then you add... A Luxardo or a couple Luxardo cherries, and then you float this Italian liqueur called Galliano on the top of it, and it's just this like delicious herbal, refreshing orange citrusy. I want to drink this on the Italian coast kind of drink, and it's it's very good. I'm I love that he does this for me. He he hand squeezed nice. those oranges. Did- did he and did he like have the bag with the ham with the mallet to crush the ice up? He used a, the back of a spoon. He needs one of those. He needs a nice like he needs you a, know one could say that he needs an ice machine for Christmas. One could say one could say that. <laughs> one could say that. Um. <laughs> anyway, well, I tried to recreate that like hot buttered rum drink that I made when we discussed mm-hmm. uh, the left hand of darkness. But I realized I was out of rum. So basically I made the same thing, but without rum, with um, monkey shoulder whiskey. Um, so it's so it's brown sugar, butter, cinnamon, nutmeg, vanilla, and honey. And I mixed all that together. And then 
um, the whiskey and I actually added some apple cider to it. Smart. Because I had some apple cider in the fridge and then boiling water. Um, and it's it's really good. I actually think it's better than the other one. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. That's amazing. It's really good. But I don't I kind of I didn't really put specific measurements in of things. So it could probably taste differently depending on how much of what you put in there. But I just kind of did dashes of things and it's pretty good. Well, you're very good at that. I have to say it worked out last time. It worked out this time. I think you have a gift. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. I'm I'm happy with it. So and I feel like it's a good it's like cold and rainy here. Yeah. um, Right now. So it's kind of a nice drink for that atmosphere um is there anything else that we need to notify the peoples of before we do our reading um i don't think we really need to notify anybody but i'll just give like a brief maybe intro to the poet um let's do that and then we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back with our reading yeah so i think this poem is like one of the coolest poems of all time Um, Samuel Taylor Coleridge is a wonderful poet. He was born in October of 1772, and he died uh, July of 1834. Um, So he he was kind of a man of all hats. He was a poet, and he was a critic and a philosopher and all those things. And he is really one of the key founders of, like, the romantic literary movement in... um, in English literature, and he's very famous. He wrote lots of famous poems, but The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is probably his most famous, and it's also a lot different than his other poems. Um, and this this poem is just also really fun because you see it creep up in all sorts of literature afterwards. So we saw references to it in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, for example. Um, if you're familiar with Herman Melville's Moby Dick, that whole book was largely inspired by this poem. I um, mean, if you, you know, are a metalhead like my boyfriend, uh, Iron Maiden actually <laughs> has like a 10 minute song about this poem. That is awesome. Have you heard Interesting. that? Have you listened to that song? No, I have to say, while I do, I am aware of Iron Maiden and, and I recognize their their place in musical canon. Uh-huh. I'm not necessarily a fan. Oh my gosh, you're wrong um, because they're so good. I I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just <laughs> saying that I'm just not a fan. Well, it's so, almost you know. like the music we like are sub, you know subjective opinions. So I guess you're entitled to it. Um, yeah, I suppose that happens. Yeah, I mean, but, so if people want to like not good music, that's okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, I love The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner by Iron Maiden. It's very good. So anyway, this this poem just really has like, it's very weird and it just has stuck around for a really long time. I even saw uh, last or two, two or three years ago, I went to the Lagoon um, Amusement Park in Utah and they, for Halloween, had like a live performance of The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is the most random thing to be done at that Lagoon. It is random. Um, but they did yeah. it like a couple years in a row and it was really cool. Um, so it's just, it's great. And Samuel Taylor Coleridge is really interesting. Um, he really struggled with addiction. He had an opium addiction that because he was uh, prescribed opium for various issues, health issues that he had. Um, and he had kind of a hard, 
he made some hard decisions in his life. He pretty much like abandoned his family. He had um, what they think was bipolar disorder back then. He definitely had anxiety and depression. And a lot of his poetry is kind of like working around those feelings that he was having. Um, and I think that it even comes up early on in, in this poem, which was published in 1797 and 1798. So I loved it. I'm very excited to talk about it. And I think that Samuel Taylor Coleridge is a fascinating literary figure. And I recommend his poems to everybody I meet. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm excited. This was a, a good idea. Um, so we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will be doing our reading of The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. So we will be back shortly. Tune in. of the ancient mariner in seven parts. Argument. How a ship, having passed the line, was driven by storms to the cold country towards the South Pole, and how from thence she made her course to the tropical latitude of the great Pacific Ocean, and of the strange things that befell, and in what manner the ancient mariner came back to his own country. Part one. It is an ancient mariner, and he stoppeth one of three. By thy long gray beard and thy glittering eye, now wherefore stoppest me? The bridegroom's doors are opened wide, and I am next of kin. The guests are met, the feast is set, mayst hear the merry din. But still he holds the wedding guests, there was a ship, quoth he. Nay, if thou hast got a laughsome tale, mariner, come with me. He holds him with his skinny hand, quoth he, there was a ship. Now get thee hence, thou graybeard loon, or my staff shall make thee skip. He holds him with his glittering eye, the wedding guest stood still, and listens like a three years child. The mariner hath his will. The wedding guest sat on a stone. He cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on that ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. The ship was cheered, the harbor cleared, merrily did we drop, below the kirk, below the hill, below the lighthouse top. The sun came up upon the left, out of the sea came he and he shone bright, and on the right went down into the sea. Higher and higher every day, till over the mast at noon, the wedding guest here beat his breast, for he heard the loud bassoon. The bride hath packed into the hall, red as a rose is she, nodding their heads before her goes, the merry minstrelsy. The wedding guest he beat his breast, yet he cannot choose but hear, and thus spake on that ancient man, the bright-eyed mariner. Listen, stranger, storm and wind, a wind and tempest strong. For days and weeks it played us freaks, like chaff we drove along. Listen, stranger, mist and snow, and it grew wondrous cold. An ice mast high came floating by, as green as emerald. And throw the drifts, the snowy cliffs, 
did send a dismal sheen, ne shapes of men, ne beasts we ken, the ice was all between. The ice was here, the ice was there, the ice was all around. It cracked and growled and roared and howled like noises of a sound. At length did cross an albatross, through the fog it came, and an it were a Christian soul, we hailed it in God's name. The mariners gave it a biscuit worms, and round and round it flew. The ice did split with a thunder fit, the helmsman steered us through. And a good south wind sprung up behind, the albatross did follow, and every day for food or play came to the mariners' hollow. In mist or cloud, on mast or shroud, it perched for vespers nine. Whiles all the night through fog smoke white glimmered the white moonshine. God save thee, ancient mariner, from the fiends that plague thee thus. Why lookest thou so? With my crossbow I shot the albatross. Part two. The sun came up upon the right, out of the sea came he, and broad as a weft upon the left went down into the sea. And the good south wind still blew behind, but no sweet bird did follow. Any day for food or play came to the mariner's hollow. And I had done a hellish thing, and it would work him woe, for all averred I had killed the bird that made the breeze to blow. The dim the red like God's own head, the glorious sun oppressed, then all averred I had killed the bird that brought the fog and mist. Twas right, said they, such birds to slay that bring the fog and mist. The breezes blew, the white foam flew, the furrow followed free. We were the first that ever burst into that silent sea. Down dropped the breeze, the sails dropped down, twas sad as sad could be, and we did speak only to break the silence of the sea. All in a hot and copper sky, the bloody sun at noon, right up above the mast did stand, no bigger than the moon. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, no breath, no motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nay any drop to drink. The very deeps did rot, O Christ, that ever this could be. Yea, slimy things did crawl with legs upon the slimy sea. About, about, in reel and rout, the death fires danced at night. The water, like a witch's oils, burnt green and blue and white. And some in dreams assured were of the spirit that plagued us so. Nine fathom deep he had followed us from the land of mist and snow. And every tongue through utter drought was withered at the root. We could not speak no more than if we had been choked with soot. Ah, well a day, what evil looks had I from old and young. Instead of the cross, the albatross about my neck was hung. Part three. I saw something in the sky no bigger than my fist. At first it seemed a little speck, and then it seemed a mist. It moved and moved and took at last a certain shape, I wist. A speck, a mist, a shape, I wist. And still it neared and neared, and Anna judged a water sprite, it plunged and tacked and veered. With throat unslacked, with black lips baked, nay could we laugh, nay wait. Then while throughout drouth all dumb they stood, I bit my arm and sucked the blood and cried, a sail, a sail. With throat unslacked, with black lips baked, agape they hear me call. Gramercy, they for joy did grin, and all at once their breath drew in as they were drinking all. 
She doth not tack from side to side, hither to work us wheel. Withouten wind, withouten tide, she steadies with upright keel. The western wave was all aflame, the day was well nigh done. Almost upon the western wave rested the broad bright sun, when that strange shape drove suddenly betwixt us and the sun. And straight the sun was flecked with bars. Heaven's mother send us grace. As if through a dungeon gate he peered with broad and burning face. Alas, thought I, and my heart beat loud, how fast she nears and nears. Are those her sails that glance in the sun like restless gossamers? Are these her naked ribs which flecked the sun that did behind them peer? And are those two all, all the crew, that woman and her fleshless fear? His bones were black, with many a crack, all black and bare, I ween. Jet black and bare, save where with rust of moldy damps and charnel crust, they are patched with purple and green. Her lips are red, her looks are free, her locks are yellow as gold, her skin is as white as leprosy, and she is far like death than he. Her flesh makes the still air cold. The naked hulk alongside came, and the twain was were playing dice. The game is done. I've won. I've won, quoth she, and whistled thrice. A gust of wind started up behind and whistled through his bones, through the holes of his eyes and the holes of his mouth, half whistles and half groans. With never a whisper in the sea, off darts the specter ship, while clomb above the eastern bar, the horned moon with one bright star, almost atween the tips. One after one by the horned moon, Listen, O stranger, to me. Each turned his face with a ghastly pang and cursed me with his E. Four times fifty living men, with never a sigh or groan, with heavy thump, a lifeless lump, they dropped down one by one. Their fowls did from their bodies fly, they fled to bliss or woe, and every soul it passed me by, like the whiz of my crossbow. Part four. I fear thee, ancient mariner, I fear thy skinny hand, and thou art long and lank and brown as the ribbed sea sand. I fear thee and thy glittering eye and thy skinny hand so brown. Fear not, fear not, thou winning guest, this body dropped not down. Alone, alone, all, all alone, alone on the wide, wide sea, and Christ would take no pity on my soul in agony. The many men so beautiful, and they all dead did lie, and a million, million slimy things lived on, and so did I. I looked upon the rotting sea and drew my eyes away. I looked upon the eldritch deck wherein there where the dead men lay. I looked to heaven and tried to pray, but or ever a prayer had gushed, a wicked whisper came and made my heart as dry as dust. I closed my lids and kept them closed till the balls like pulses beat. For the sky and the sea and the sea and the sky lay like a load on my weary eye, and the dead were at my feet. The cold sweat melted from their limbs. They rot, they reeked, did they. The look with which they looked on me had never passed away. An orphan's curse would drag to hell a spirit from on high, but oh, more horrible than that is the curse in a dead man's eye. Seven days, seven nights, I saw that curse, and yet I could not die. The moving moon went up the sky, and nowhere did abide. Softly she was going up, and a star or two beside. 
Her beams bemocked the sultry main like morning frosts you spread, and where the ship's huge shadow lay, the charmed water burnt away, a still and awful red. Beyond the shadow of the ship, I watched the water snakes. They moved in tracks of shining white, and when they reared, the elfish light fell off in hoary flakes. Within the shadow of the ship, I watched their rich attire, blue, glossy green, and velvet black. They coiled and swam, and every track was a flash of golden fire. Oh, happy living things, no tongue their beauty might declare. A spring of love gushed from my heart, and I blessed them unaware. Sure my kind saint took pity on me, and I blessed them unaware. The self-same moment I could pray, and from my neck so free, the albatross fell off and sank like lead into the sea. Part 5 O sleep, it is a gentle thing, beloved from pole to pole. To Mary Queen the praise be even, she sent the gentle sleep from heaven that slid into my soul. The silly buckets on the deck that had so long remained, I dreamt that they were filled with dew, and when I awoke, it rained. My lips were wet, my throat was cold, my garments all were dank. Sure I had drunken in my dreams, and still my body drank. I moved and could not feel my limbs. I was so light, almost I thought that I had died in sleep, and was a blessed ghost. The roaring wind, it roared far off, it did not come anear but with its sound it shook the sails that were so thin and sear. The upper air bursts into life and a hundred fire flags sheen. To and fro they are hurried about and to and fro and in and out the stars dance on between. The coming wind doth roar more loud. The sails do sigh like sedge. The rain pours down from one black cloud and the moon is at its edge. Hark, hark, the thick black cloud is cleft and the moon is at its side. Like water shot from some high crag, the lightning falls with never a jag, a river steep and wide. The strong wind reached the ship. It roared and dropped down like a stone. Beneath the lightning and the moon, the dead men gave a groan. They groaned, they stirred, they all uprose, and spake, and moved their eyes. It had been strange, even in a dream, to have seen those dead men rise. The helmsman steered, the ship moved on, Yet never a breeze up blue. Mariners all again work the ropes where they weren't wont to do. They raised their limbs like lifeless tools. We were a ghastly crew. The body of my brother's son stood by my knee to knee. The body and I pulled at one's rope, and he said not to me. And I quaked to think of my own voice, how frightful it would be. The daylight dawned. They dropped their arms and clustered round the mast. Sweet sounds rose slowly through their mouths, and from their bodies passed. Around, around flew each sweet sound, then darted to the sun. Slowly the sounds came back again, now mixed, now one by one. Sometimes a dropping from the sky I heard the lavrock sing. Sometimes all little birds that are, how they seem to fill the sea and air with their sweet jargoning. And now twas like all instruments, now like a lonely flute, and now it is an angel's song that makes the heavens be mute. It ceased, yet still the sails made on, a pleasant noise till noon, a noise like of a hidden brook in the leafy month of June, that to the sleeping woods all night singeth a quiet tune. Listen, oh listen, thou wedding guest, mariner, thou hast thy will, for that which comes out of thine eye doth make my body and soul to be still. Never sadder tale was told to a man of woman born, 
Sadder and wiser, thou wedding guest, thou will rise tomorrow morn. Never sadder tale was heard by a man of woman born. The mariners all returned to work as silent as before. The mariners all gan pull the ropes, but look at me, they knolled. Thought I, I am as thin as air, they cannot me behold. Till noon we silently sailed on, yet never a breeze did breathe. Slowly and smoothly went the ship, moved onward from beneath. Under the keel nine fathom deep, from the land of mist and snow, the spirit slid, and it was he that made the ship to go. The sails at noon left off their tune, and the ship stood still also. The sun right up above the mast had fixed her to the ocean, but in a minute she gan stir, with a short uneasy motion, backwards and forwards, half her length, with a short uneasy motion. Then, like a pawing horse let go, she made a stubborn bound, it flung the blood into my head, and I fell into a swound. How long in that same fit I lay, I have not to declare. But ere my living life returned, I heard, and in my soul discerned, two voices in the air. Is it he? quoth one. Is this the man? By him who died on cross. With his cruel bow he laid full low the harmless albatross. The spirit who bideth by himself in the land of mist and snow. He loved the bird that loved the man who shot him with his bow. The other was a softer voice, and as soft as honey dew. Quoth he, the man hath penance done, and penance more will do. Part 6 But tell me, tell me, speak again, thy soft response renewing. What makes that ship drive on so fast? What is the ocean doing? Still as a slave before his lord, the ocean hath no blast. His great bright eye most silently up to the moon is cast. If he may know which way to go, for she guides him smooth or grim. See, brother, see, how graciously she looketh down on him. But why drives on that ship so fast, without wave or wind? The air is cut away before and closes from behind. Fly, brother, fly, more high, more high, or we shall be belated. For slow and slow that ship will go when the mariner's trace is abated. I woke, and we were sailing on as in gentle weather. Plus night, calm night, the moon was high. The dead men stood together. All stood together on the deck for a charnel dungeon fitter and fixed on me their stony eyes that in the moon did glitter. The pang, the curse with which they died had never passed away. I could not draw my e'en from theirs nor turn them up to pray. And in its time the spell was snapped and I could move my e'en. I looked far forth but little saw of what might else be seen. Like one that on a lonely road doth walk in fear and dread, and having once turned round, walks on and turns no more his head, because he knows a frightful fiend doth close behind him tread. But soon there breathed a wind on me, nay sound, nay motion made. Its path was not upon the sea, in ripple or in shade. It raised my hair, it fanned my cheek, like a meadow gale of spring, it mingled strangely with my fears, yet it felt like a welcoming. Swiftly, swiftly flew the ship, yet she sailed softly too. Sweetly, sweetly blew the breeze. On me alone it blew. Oh, dream of joy, is this indeed the lighthouse top I see? Is this the hill? Is this the kirk? Is this mine own country? We drifted o'er the harbor bay, and I with sobs did pray. Oh, let me be awake, my God, or let me sleep away. The harbor bay was clear as glass, so smoothly it was strewn, 
and on the bay the moonlight lay on the shadow of the moon. The moonlight bay was white all o'er, till rising from the same, full many shapes that shadows were, like as of torches came. A little distance from the prow those dark red shadows were, but soon I saw that my own flesh was red as in a glare. I turned my head in fear and dread, and by the holy rood, the bodies had advanced, and now, before the mass, they stood. They lifted up their stiff right arms, they held them straight and tight, and each right arm burnt like a torch, a torch that borne upright. Their stony eyeballs glittered on in the red and smoky light. I prayed and turned my head away, forth looking as before. There was no breeze upon the bay, no wave against the shore. The rock shone bright, the kirk no less, that stands above the rock. The moonlight steeped in silentness and steady weathercock. And the bay was white with silent light, till rising from the same, full many shapes that shadows were in crimson colors came. A little distance from the prow those crimson shadows were, I turned my eyes upon the deck. Oh Christ, what saw I there? Each course lay flat, lifeless and flat, and by the holy rood, a man all light, a seraph man, on every course there stood. The seraph band, each waved his hand, it was a heavenly sight. They stood as signals to the land, each one a lovely light. The seraph band, each waved his hand, no voice did they impart, no voice, but oh, the silence sank like music on my heart. Of stones I heard the dash of oars, I heard the pilots cheer, my head was turned perforce away, and I saw a boat appear. Then vanished all the lovely lights, the bodies rose anew, with silent pace each to his place came back the ghastly crew. The wind that shade nor motion made, on me alone it blew. The pilot and the pilot's boy, I heard them coming fast. Dear Lord in heaven, it was a joy the dead man could not last. I saw a third, I heard his voice, it is the hermit good. He singeth loud his godly hymns that he makes in the wood. He'll shrieve my soul, he'll wash away the albatross's blood. Part 7 This hermit good lives in that wood which slopes down to the sea. How loudly his sweet voice he rears, he loves to talk with mariners that come from a far country. He kneels at morn and noon and eve, he hath a cushion plump. It is the moss that wholly hides the rotted old oak stump. The skiff boat neared, I heard them talk. Why, this is strange, I trow. Where are those lights so many and fair that signal made but now? Strange, by my faith, the hermit said, and they answered not our cheer. The planks look warped and see those sails, how thin they are and sear. I never saw aught like to them unless perchance it were. The skeletons of leaves that lag, my forest brook along, when the ivy tod is heavy with snow, and the owlet whoops to the wolf below, that eats the she-wolf's young. Dear Lord, it has a fiendish look, the pilot made reply. I am afeard, push on, push on, said the hermit cheerily. The boat came closer to the ship, but I spake no stirred. The boat came close beneath the ship, and straight a sound was heard. Under the water it rumbled on, still louder and more dread. It reached the ship, it split the bay, the ship went down like lead. Stunned by that loud and dreadful sound, which sky and ocean smote, like one that hath been seven days drowned, my body lay afloat, but swift as dreams, myself I found within the pilot's boat. 
Upon the whirl where sank the ship, the boat spun round and round, and all was still, save that the hill was telling of the sound. I moved my lips, the pilot shrieked, and fell down in a fit. The holy hermit raised his eyes and prayed where he did sit. I took the oars, the pilot's boy, who now doth crazy go, laughed loud and long, and all the while his eyes went to and fro. Ha ha, quoth he, full plain I see, the devil knows how to row. And now all in mine own country I stood on the firm land. The hermit stepped forth from the boat, and scarcely he could stand. Oh, shrieve me, shrieve me, holy man, the hermit crossed his brow. Say quick, quoth he, I bid thee say, what manner man art thou? Forthwith this frame of mine was wrenched with a woeful agony, which forced me to begin my tale, and then it left me free. Since then, at an uncertain hour, now oft times and now fewer, that anguish comes and makes me tell my ghastly adventure. I pass, like night, from land to land. I have strange power of speech. The moment that his face I see, I know the man that must hear me to, to him my tale I teach. What loud uproar bursts from that door? The wedding guests are there, but in the garden bower the bride and bridemaid singing are, and hark the little vesper bell which biddeth me to prayer. O wedding guest, this soul hath been alone on a wide, wide sea, so lonely twas that God himself scarce seemed there to be. O sweeter than the marriage feast, tis sweeter far to me, to walk together to the kirk with a goodly company. To walk together to the kirk and all together pray, while each to his great father bends, old men and babes and loving friends and youths and maidens gay. Farewell, farewell, but this I tell to thee, thou wedding guest. He prayeth well who loveth well, both man and bird and beast. He prayeth best who loveth best, all things both great and small. For the dear God who loveth us, he made and loveth all. The mariner whose eye is bright, whose beard with age is hoar, is gone, and now the wedding guest turned from the bridegroom's door. He went, like one that hath been stunned, and is of sense forlorn, a sadder and a wiser man, he rose the morrow morn. All right, well, that was fun. Yeah. I hope you all enjoyed that. I apologize if it's not as eloquently sounding hey you know what that was our first reading and we were reading a really difficult poem to read out loud so i actually think we did pretty good for our first time Uh, yeah so hope 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 you enjoyed and um thanks to kendrick zane for his uh additions of sound effects to create ambience appreciate um him uh and all the help he gives us. And just a quick little shout out. He's going to be performing at the Egyptian theater in Ogden on November 1st. Um, his own music plus some awesome covers. So, Oh my gosh, that's going to uh, be such an awesome show. Go. Yeah. I'm really excited I, for him. So you guys, I really wish I were in, a great night of music. Yeah. I really wish I were in Utah. It's free, right? Yes, it's free, which is awesome. Um, and then on November I, th- I think it's six. I'll double check, but um, he's going to be playing at the Covey Center for the Arts um, in Provo. Um, so also free. So some awesome venues. Um, so whether you're north or south, no reason to not uh, see him. So please go check him out and uh, appreciate all the editing he's been doing for us, especially with that poem. So that was fun. For sure. Um, but yeah, let's chat about it. So um, we'll just kind of give you guys a brief synopsis um sadie jump in wherever uh 
But basically, the poem begins with this old sailor, the mariner, stopping a guest uh, of a wedding. He's on his way to the wedding. And to tell him the story of this voyage that he's taken. And the wedding guest is kind of reluctant at first, um, but he's like pulled in by the mariner and his look, his, his glittering eye. Um, so the mariner begins telling him his tale, um, his ship leaving on its journey. Things seem good at first, the sh- but then the ship's driven south by a storm and then reaches the like icy waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then an albatross appears, leads the ship out of where it was, like stuck in ice. But um, a lot of the ship's crew, they are obviously happy about that and feed the albatross and praise it. The mariner shoots the bird, um, which I think is definitely one of the more famous lines of the poem with my crossbow I shot the albatross mm-hmm. um, or if not very much everyone kind of knows the image of an albatross hanging around one's neck but we can get into that later yeah um, so then obviously the crew's really angry with him they believe the albatross brought the south wind that that saved them um, but then they change their mind when all of a sudden the water the weather becomes nice and warm and the mist disappears and then they realize their error um, in supporting the mariner um, it arouses the wrath of spirits um, and they pursue the ship. Um, and now they're in uncharted territory near the equator. Um, and then the sailors change their minds again and blame the mariner mm-hmm. for their situation and their thirst. And they force the mariner to wear the dead albatross about around his neck. Um, and then after a time, the ship encounters a, a ghostly ship. Um, on board are death as a skeleton um, and then a pale woman, a deathly pale woman. And they're, they're playing a game for the souls of the crew. Um, and then death wins um, the lives of the crew members and life in death, the life of the mariner. And she considers that the more valuable prize. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it, his fate is... You know, it's worse than death as punishment. Um, and then all the crew members die, but the mariner continues to live. Um, and he sees for seven days and nights the curse, and like, because he has to be around the crew as they're dead. Um, and then uh, the, his curse is lifted. Um, he like sees different sea creatures, the sea snakes. Um, he calls them slimy things in the poem. But then he sees their true beauty. And, and blesses them. Um, and, and he prays. The albatross then falls from his neck and his guilt is somewhat abated. Um, and then it begins to rain and the bodies of the crew um, are possessed by these good spirits and they rise and help sail the ship. And he's kind of like passed, passed out uh, in a trance. I don't know, however you would describe it. And he hears mm-hmm. the two different spirits discussing his situation, his voyage. And learns that it's being, like, he comes to the awareness that the ship is being powered by these spirits. So it's, like, supernatural. And then he wakes from his, whatever, coma and comes inside of his his home country. But he's not sure if it's real or not. Um, And then the remains of the ship sink and leave the mariner behind. And there's a hermit on the mainland who spotted the ship. And he comes out in a boat to, to meet him with a pilot and the pilot's son. Um, and they pull the mariner from the water. They think he's dead, but then he opens his mouth and speaks and 
scares the hell out of everybody. And the mariner <laughs> begins to pray. Um, and then the hermit begins to pray, sorry. And then the mariner picks up the oars to row. And like the pilot's boy thinks he's the devil. And he's like, oh, the devil knows how to row. Another famous line, I believe. Um, and then he's compelled, like once they land, the mariner has this compulsion to tell the hermit his story. And he can't move until he's told this story. Um, and as a penance for shooting the albatross, the mariner with all of his guilt is now forced to wander the earth and tell his story over and over and over and over and teaching lessons to those he meets. Um, so he finishes his story and the mariner leaves and then the wedding guest returns home, waking up a sadder and a wiser man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a great summary. So that's the story. Yeah. Which can be hard to piece out sometimes when you're just listening to a poem rather than looking at the words, especially this one, which is um, something else. I will just say that. Um, Yeah. yeah. Just so awesome. And so many. Yeah, it's a great. The story's great. And it's just inspired so many. I mean, it's just it's seeped into so many parts of our culture. And yeah, I love like I love a lot of the repetition in the poem. You know, like, yeah, I do. I I mean, because I like one of the great things about poems is all the different formats of poems. Right. And Mm -hmm. like how one can express such deep and um, complex things in in those kind of formats, Mm -hmm. you know, in in a poem. Like, I just think it's fascinating anyway. But then, you know, I. I love modern poetry, but there's really just something to to the old stuff and the repetition and the rhyme and the state. You know, it's just yes, it's like you have to know the structure to know how to break the rules. And so that's what makes the new stuff so good, because it's still tied into the original structure, you know, and it's like one of the reasons I love haikus, like having to operate in such a within bounds, Mm -hmm. I think is can can really bring out some really good shit yeah <laughs> like, well and it's so funny it's like I think too what's fun about reading like historical poetry is looking at how it's changed you know and, and like you said it, it's fun to read modern poetry because it's fun to see how poets these days are breaking the rules or they're trying new things but like this poem was a huge rule breaker at the time like this was a crazy poem I love um, at the beginning of lyric ballads there's um, an advertisement for the the poetry book and they you know this is this is really this this type of literature and the themes that they are thinking about and the way that they're writing is really trying to like get away from a lot of like the old school neoclassical very like gentrified uppity kind of classes of poetry and of poetry kind of belonging to the upper class. And this poem is kind of trying to avoid that. And I love how they say um, that the majority of the following poems are to be considered as experiments. They were written chiefly from a view to ascertain how far the language of conversation in the middle and lower classes of society is adapted to the purposes of poetic pleasure. Um, readers accustomed to the gaudiness and inane phraseology of many modern writers, if they persist in reading this book to its conclusion, will perhaps frequently have to struggle with feelings of strangeness and awkwardness. They will look around for poetry and will be induced to inquire 
by what species of courtesy these attempts can be permitted to assume that title. So it's so it's so funny, you know, like we read poems like this and we think about it being as like this old thing, almost good, great poetry, you know, but it's still so unfamiliar and old to us as readers. But then to think about how like audacious it was at the time of it being written and um, how experimental it was for the time is something that's really fun. And, you know, one of the things that makes it really experimental is uh, the the purposeful misspellings of yes. it within the poetry. So, like, for example, country is spelled probably three different ways throughout the thing, but usually it's like T-R-E-E at the end instead of T-R-Y. Um, or rhyme itself is R-I-M-E instead of R-H-Y-M-E. And it's not because that's how things were supposed to be spelled back then. It's it's the this like intentional rule breaking um, that Coleridge is doing, yeah. which is awesome. I think it's really interesting, and I think it's um, a kind of visual. Because one thing that's cool about poetry is that it's you know it's it's visual as much as it is. Um, like lyrical to hear, you know, and the yes. way it looks on a page and the way things are spelled or the way that the stanzas are kind of shaped or organized is as much a part of the poem as anything else. And um, I think the the purposeful misspellings of this story kind of are a really great homage to the lower classes that I think he's kind of invoking here of this concept of like storytelling and um, oral tradition. Yeah, well said. Thank you. I, and I, I love, I, I think what's fascinating about it, well, one of the many things, you know, it's from 1798 and I think it's just so easily able to be connected to our modern time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, it was last year, um, I read this Atlantic article and I was trying to find it earlier, but basically, um, a group of celebrities, I never saw it, but they did like a big read of the ancient rhyme of the ancient Mariner. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So maybe we can find it and put it up on, I don't know how to do such things, but if there's ways to link videos, maybe <laughs> Sadie, you know how, and we can put it up, but cause it'd be cool to, it'd be cool to watch it. But you know, it, part of the article was just talking, I think about like why it's so, um, uh, relevant, you know, for the time. So like when the coronavirus and a pandemic was happening, it's still happening, but when it first started, I mean, and it's, it is interesting. It's this typical archetypal journey, but like, you know, it was saying like the albatross is kind of that representation for everything that you have squandered, mm. you know, and, and, um, uh, what's the word not taking advantage of taking, you know, taking for granted, basically like, you know, just every corrosive pleasure that we have as people and, and just realizing like, you know, your own ignorance, how, how much of an effect it can have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more well said than that, but I just thought the article is really interesting because it's, it is interesting when we have times of great like strife and change, how we kind of revert back and look not just at history, but at historical literature and art and mm-hmm. finding those ways to connect through time and in some ways it's uh dispiriting because it's like shit we haven't figured it out still 
Like, you know, we didn't, we didn't learn, but then at the same time, it's, it's heartening because we'll, maybe we'll be okay. You know, we can come through this. We can make it. We've done it before. So I don't know. I kind of vacillate between those two attitudes when I think of how many things are still connected um, that are, I wish weren't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love, like, I mean, this is such an ambiguous poem, which is funny because it has such what do you a mean by that? such an explicit what 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 do you mean by it's you feel like it's an ambiguous poem i feel like the moral at the end of the story doesn't match up in any way to what story's been t- just told to us does that make sense oh yeah like the, the it does make sense the part where um you know where he's saying goodbye to the wedding guest and he's he basically says that the moral of the story is that he who he prayeth best who loveth best and like everybody should love everybody and to you should love God's creatures all of God's creatures and killing the abatross was equivalent to like killing a person you know like this weird but it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense which is a weird way to you know slap a moral on a poem that I don't think was saying that at all um well I kind of see how it is but I think it does seem like a very like a very um like I almost look at it a little bit like an afterthought Mm -hmm. like I don't know I I think I can kind of see how it's there but I think it I think the tone isn't the same yeah well and I think that um the or what problem, do you mean? Like, why I don't do you, know. The problem with the adding the moral is that it doesn't leave room for the wedding guest or, you know, us as the readers to to kind of figure it have out. Your own? Even yeah, to figure it out on our own. Yeah. But I do think I don't know. I just didn't think that the moral of the story was that he shouldn't have shot the albatross just because it was one of God's creatures. Does that make sense? Like and I think that I think that the it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm maybe reading into it too much, but I think that the, I think that Coleridge wasn't super interested in like upholding traditional theological um, norms. Like I think he. See, I feel it's like an environmental thing. I think it's an environmental thing, but he brings god into it a lot like it's about the fact that it's a creation um Hmm. that's interesting we yeah that's interesting different i mean because it's different than i've thought about it well i just think that there are a lot of ways to read it and i think that even if like even if you find i think you can find evidence in the poem to support that moral but i think you can also find evidence that is contrary to that you know and um i i don't know it's such a weird poem that i think Ultimately, it's not necessarily the fact that he shot the albatross that is like the problem. It's it's the fact like the question of why and not being able to tackle a reason onto it because he doesn't he can't really give a reason for why he shot it. He just did it. And I think that's a more interesting question than just the answer of don't do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Um yeah, it's just interesting because we've looked, we've definitely looked at it differently. Because I took it as like, yeah, the moral is, like, I looked at it as more of like an environmental, naturalistic kind of thing, and mm-hmm. it's like that's how nature 
for a lot of people still is seen and was seen as it's part of God. But I thought I took it as more of like, there's no reason that the Mariner shot the albatross. And that's the point. Like it's out of just a complete lack of like superiority and ignorance that like Mm -hmm. some and a lot of mankind has for like the natural world. Yeah. And so like included in that is like literally, you know, they're literally they're on the ocean and that's like a very there's so little we know about it. Yeah. You know, but we want to command it like in any part of nature. We want to command it all like Lord over it. And so there's that part of it with the talking of like spirits and ghosts and all that. I think that's the same thing. Like I think a lot of people think of that as part of the natural world, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. And like a lot of people don't have respect for it. And then, you know, animal, like just plants and animals, all of God's creatures. And I think that's kind of how I've always read it is it's like this, the moral it, while he brings God into it, but the moral is I, I took it as to to not be ignorant of our role in our overall world with, you know, nature and like all elements of the natural world yeah. kind of a thing. Well, I mean, he definitely, I think, Collard like cares a lot and is taking care to to discuss and think about our place in the natural world. And um and I agree I think, with. You I, I think you said. know a lot more about Col. I think you know a lot more about Coleridge than I do. I don't know. Like <laughs> I don't know. I, I well, just, but I, I think that I think that that may not be it because I think a lot of that would be, depend on more of who he was as a person. But so mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's helpful to know about the author of art, the yeah. creator of it, and their life. But then sometimes it's like you, that almost limits your interpretations because maybe there'd be something I would learn about Coleridge. I'm like, Oh yeah, there's no way in hell that's what he must've been talking about. Well, I guess I just think that, um, I, I like find it interesting to kind of slap a moral on it because you know, the Mariner, this isn't the first person he's told this story to, right? He says that he walks around and that he can tell um, who he needs to yeah, tell the story Yeah, I mean, it conjures to. in my mind that he's been doing this for like decades, years, almost, yeah. almost unnaturally, almost an unnatural amount of years. Yeah, and like, I think that that's almost like um, that's so strange, and it seems almost like a continuation of a punishment. Does that make sense? Of like the fact that he cannot find relief until he tells this story, and then he's like slapping a moral on it at the end. It's it's almost like this compulsion, um, and like morals. I think generally, like they're meant to kind of be shared, right? Like you think about like pop popular fables or um, you know the Book of Virtues or something, and it's like. When you're trying to tell something with like a specific end goal, it begs retelling and retelling and retelling because you're trying to like get that across. Um, yeah. But with this character, like, it seems like kind of a not a you know not a happy thing to learn, and it seems like it's um, an obsession he kind of has. And then also, you know, the fact that the the bridegroom leaves like he said, like forlorn and stunned and sad. 
and um, a sadder and wiser man. I don't know. It just seems like yeah. this weird kind of um, opposition to, I think, what one would think a story with a moral would kind of be. And especially kind of like a happy moral. and Like a moral about just treating people equally and um, like treating God's creatures like the same, even if they were human or if they're animal. I don't know. That just, it seems kind of like a poppy, bright moral to, I think, a really weird story that it just doesn't quite yeah. match up for me. And I think See, it's I, intentional. I think I, yeah, I think I agree with you, but like I've thought about it in different, like for me, it, yeah. the tone doesn't match up. I feel like the tone is kind of all over the place. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's kind of an off setting, like because you're kind of like, okay, wait, what's going on? Is this is this a ghost story? Is this yeah. a like happy story? Is this a set? Like, yeah, it is. It's an um, and I agree with you that I think it's on purpose. I mean, I I think that the point. I don't know. I think that offsetting mood is intentional well it's i mean there's contradictions throughout the fact that good spirits are inhabiting dead bodies you know like that's yeah that's the first time i've ever seen good zombies before (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah i agree like and i I do i think it's like that's part of the the um i think it it brings up that idea of though of like what what are specters you know and what is good and evil and is it really that clear-cut Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's, yeah, it is. it's too short of an explanation, right? Like imagine like, I don't know. I'm just trying what to is? imagine myself as this uh, bridegroom sitting in the street, hearing this crazy tale in 1798. I've never heard of zombies before. I've never heard of sea monsters. <laughs> I've never heard of zombies. You know, I've never heard of any of this but wait, stuff that's, before. This, but this stuff isn't, this isn't. I don't I don't think this is stuff that wouldn't be familiar to people in 1798. My understanding of it when I took a class on it is that this was like new shit that had not Really? Yes. Because neoclassicism came before romanticism and neoclassicism was all about like firm reality and it was oh, okay, so in literature you mean. Yes. So maybe like okay, there were like f- fables and ghost tale, like ghost stories that people like folk tale, right? Yeah. But like, yeah, because I, I feel like that idea of like, maybe not how we picture, but like that idea of specters, of ghosts, of the dead coming back to life, like things like that wouldn't be necessarily. But like, they were the first like. idea of it. But, but they were like. You're talking about. Yeah. So, but that, that stuff was like rejected by like the I upper see, class okay. because it was a lower class experience. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. So, yeah. you, you know, like this is, you know, this bridegroom is going to this wedding party. So he's, he's somewhere in that upper middle class kind of situation Yeah, and him hearing all this stuff and it's like trying to comprehend it. And then the moral of the story is in six stanzas, six lines. And it's like, the the whole point of this whole story I've been telling you is just to treat like a bee like you would a buddy, you know, like, <laughs> like it just seems That's so, so abrupt. I, just, I see what you're saying. I think I've just never really like that's never really poked at me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, well, which is why I think like that's part of the why I think this poem 
is so interesting because I think that there are so many takes that people can take from it, right? Like we both read it completely differently. And I think that's yeah. a reason why, you know, people studying romantic literature in university today are still reading this poem and why Iron Maiden is writing 10 minute songs about this poem. Like, I think that there's just so much. Maybe they just needed material. You know what? That's very possible, but I think that's a Sorry, really that a aggressively really rude take. <laughs> aggressively I, I, I rude take. I it. I said that was really <laughs> It was. I, my apologies to Sadie and Brian and any Iron Maiden fans. I apologize. You should just listen <laughs> to the song. It's really great. I think they get it. They get how metal this uh, whole thing is, though. Like, it's crazy, the stuff that happens in this poem. This is metal. <laughs> Did you seriously just say it's metal? Yes, this is hardcore metal. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, then what better material for <laughs> a metal band to to pull from so <laughs> you know what um, okay. iron maiden did that Enough a lot with my bitchiness but i am just saying that i think that there is so much in this poem and i think that it's i think it's purposefully written so that it's supposed to lead to kind of confusion and question but also um there's something definitely to get out of it and whether or not you read that as the the moral that is given to you or if you read it and you say that doesn't quite match up for me then I think that's fine, and I think that's what he wanted. Oh, well, of course. It, I mean, we've been sitting here discussing it uh, mm -hmm. for sure. No, it's great. Um, I love poetry. Like, ugh. I don't know. I like I said earlier. I just love having those bounds and seeing what crazy stuff comes out of it. Like, I just think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it was really. It's fun to read. It is fun to read, and um, it's fun. Because it, it's also challenging, you know? Like, I think um, I think this poem is, for how long Maybe it we is... we should do our own... We should do another podcast, Sadie, of poet, poetry. <laughs> that would be fun. We'll, we'll, do an, we'll do an offshoot of this. Like, I, hey, I might know Coleridge, but I do not read a lot of modern poetry, so you would definitely have me there. Oh, I... Yeah, I really... I, I usually read, like, a poem a night, really. Really? Oh my God, mm -hmm. that's impressive. I can't, yeah. I mean, this is the first poem I've read. Well, that's not true. I, well, I went to a book festival a couple weeks ago and they did a, a poetry reading that I went to. So I guess I have read poetry recently, but um, yeah, I'm not a huge poetry reader. I really like it when it's stuff. I think I think the one of the reasons why I really enjoyed this one is and lyrical ballads in general is because I was reading it in context of kind of like larger movements, you know, and like its place in it. And so, you know, when I was reading this for the first time, it's in a college class and we're thinking about it in, in context of what came before it. And then we're also thinking about all the things that came out of it. So Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is like directly tied to this mm -hmm. and she was clearly a reader of Coleridge and um, Herman Melville's Moby Dick for example so it, like having the context for it I think makes it easier for me as a reader to read it um, I have a much harder time when I'm just reading poetry 
just to read poetry. I'm not going to lie. No, I mean, I, I don't, there's no shame in that. I mean, I think it's, how do you find your poems? Well, what I, what I normally do. So I have like my books that I have of like kind of my favorite. Um, and then I'll just like, like, I don't love every one I read, Mm. but I'll usually like, you know, go to different websites and kind of just like, almost like I'm Netflixing, like, Mm. and I'll just find one to read. And if it's something that I like, I keep like a little note, like, you know, thing in my phone of poets, just like I have like my book list of like, (laughs) it's like so long of books that I want to read. And then I just like, will pick from there, you know, and just keep reading their stuff. And then, um, I don't have that many books of it of like different poems that aren't, that I keep coming back to. Like I keep trying to find new ones. My favorite, um, poet, I guess, yeah, she's still considered, um, modern is Mary Oliver. Mm. Um, really, really like her. She's probably, she's probably one of my favorites. That's awesome. So yeah, that's what I do. So yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I don't know. How did we get off on that tangent? I totally just didn't even realize where we got there. Oh, I don't know. Because then I could just start talking about poetry forever, and that's not what we're here for. Um, that's okay. I'm just impressed that you take time to do that every day. I wish I, I, wish I did, but it's just, it's not, it's not super, super well, it's into not, it. It's not, it's not that impressive. <laughs> Almost every day there's at some point where I, like, can, you know, it's not reading a novel every night, like. I won't like yeah. if I don't have a lot of time or I'm exhausted, I'll just pick like a haiku. <laughs> yeah. It does not, it's not a big time commitment, but haiku is lovely. So, um, you know, it's not that impressive. Like it doesn't take me that long, <laughs> you know, take a compliment. It's, like, out of it. it's impressive. Oh, well I appreciate, no, I appreciate the compliment. I just like, I'm not trying to build it up. Like it's that intense. Like, you know, I can do it while I'm brushing my teeth pretty much. Yeah. I guess. But, Anyway, yeah, so that was quite a long tangent. Yeah, it was, but I don't know. I mean, this poem is um, very interesting. I'm still trying to figure out why he shot the albatross, but there is no reason, and I think that's the point. And, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I I think that there's so much to this poem that... It would be almost impossible to fully talk and talk about it, um, especially like with the bridegroom. I don't know. I think that I think that college college is saying a lot about um, kind of. I think he's making comments, I guess, on the bridegroom's place in upper society and within like institutions, especially like religious institutions. And I think that Collard is kind of um, pulling that character and maybe other people who align with the bridegroom in that way, kind of away from it and really taking us back to, to nature, kind of like you said, which I think is really interesting and was very, um, audacious at the time I love thinking about it in the context of like you know the French Revolution just barely happened like this is a lot like there's a lot going on in the world it's just so fun to think about poetry as like uh, an act of um kind of rebellion and I I think that's just yeah so fun to read yeah for sure 
Well, I think this was a great idea. I'm really glad Thanks. you suggested it, and it was really fun. Like, obviously, I guess I hadn't really talked to you about how much I enjoy poetry, but yeah, this was a this one was really fun for me. Um, and I it's interesting that we kind of saw it differently. I didn't necessarily anticipate that because we're pretty simpatico on most of our outlooks. Yeah, yeah we are. So, it's very cool. weird, actually, but like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and not weird, weird, but like, I just, I think that's one of the things, again, like I said, that makes the poem so great, but it is interesting when you read something and the other person just like did not see it at all. It's so, it's kind of fun though. It leads to, I think, I don't know. It's just, it's just like, there's no right or wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of the fun yeah. things is that, we, you know, we can talk and talk and talk about a book or a poem and we can say exactly what we think it means, but so much of it is just, it, it really is like reliant on the experience of the reader. It's an interactive relationship, yes. you know, a, yes. a book and a, and a reader that's, it goes two ways and the reader sees themselves reflected in literature and, and, um, there's no right answer. And yeah, I think that's what's so fun sure. about it. I agree, obviously. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, uh, is there anything else you wanted to bring up about the rhyme? No, I think I covered all my points. Ditto. That was really fun. That was a good good palate cleanser, so good choice, Sadie. Thanks. Um, so again, if you haven't, go pick up a copy of The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage. That'll be our next... Uh, we'll be discussing that over our next two episodes. So... Um, and the, there's a new movie on Netflix of the book, so we'll watch that, too, and discuss yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds great. I just voluntold both of us, but cool. I don't think you'll I have hate. a problem since you're a, I'm a, movie a big buff. fan of the of the Cumberbatch. What, what is it? Uh, so he, Cumberbatch. Cumber, Cumberbatch. I am a Cumberbitch. See, I didn't want to say it because it's okay if you say it, but I'm not going to call you that. You can't call me a Cumberbitch. I have no <laughs> shame. No shame. No shame. You can write that on my Christmas card. I don't care. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I I mean, I guess I see I I'm not I'm not there. Like like you're not attracted to him. I don't I I don't find him attractive. Yeah, he's not conventionally attractive. No. But I don't. But I there's people I think are unconventionally attractive that I find attractive. Yeah. Like, I think Patrick Stewart is still sexy as, oh, he's, you know what. He's fine. Um, I don't know what, and you know what, this is the thing. I'm a Cumberbitch, but I could still not tell you exactly why. I couldn't tell you for the life of me. Really? It's just, I mean, I okay, his voice is a really big part of it. Whether it's the accent or just, I don't know, mm. his tone I I don't know what it is but I absolutely love it and I'm trying to think about what I first saw him in that made me love him because I can't quite remember because I didn't watch um surprisingly I did not watch Sherlock Sherlock no oh, I watched it I liked it I did not watch it which is weird because I'm a big fan of his um, but I still didn't watch it. I don't know. I still, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what I, what I love so much about him, but I'm very attracted to him. 
I think he's great. I Oh, you know what it was? It was Star Trek. Oh, when he was um, con? Yeah, when he was con. I thought he was great. I think he just is very um, theatrical. And I think his voice is fantastic. So I think all of that... Plus, I'm a sucker for a British accent. I just am. Yeah, I mean, voice, voice, voices are definitely, like, I can be attracted to a voice. But I yeah. won't say the person is physically attractive, but, like... I think the, he looks great know. in a suit. I think he has a great voice. And I think he's a great actor. That's pretty much all I need. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't... Like I said, I don't think... I'm not, I don't think everyone's crazy. Yeah. Just, like doesn't doesn't do it for me you know he's Um, in a lot of period dramas and i'm starting to wonder if maybe like seeing him in that you know the the ruffled flowy billowy shirts is part of it because i think i think i do have a little thing for men in billowy shirts from period dramas based on based on your favorite movie choices i'd say so (laughs) I mean, it definitely fits. I think it's it's somewhat of a family thing, too. I think, like, you know what? I can family. tell you I am 110% sure that I got that directly from my mother. And um, I think it really comes down to watching 2000, what is it, 2000, uh, maybe it's like 1998, The Pride and Prejudice, two-part uh-huh. series with Colin Firth. And when he, you know goes swimming in the pond and then he walks up and he's in his britches and he's in his uh, flowy shirt and he's a little wet. Colin Firth, I think that was like the start of a lot of things for me. See, I'm not a Colin Firth fan. I know, we I talked find about Colin this. Colin Firth attractive. It's crazy. Like, now, uh, his voice is a nice voice. Uh-huh. But I don't I do not find him attractive. So like and who I, do and you, I know that I am a, Who do you fangirl over? If you were to consider yourself like male a, celebrities, yeah, like if you were to consider yourself a fangirl over any male actors, celebrities besides Patrick Stewart, because we've already dis- discussed him, who would you say that you just okay. go head over heels for? Knees weak. Okay, I I don't have like I can't tell you like a top ten, and maybe there's more, maybe there's there's probably more that I would say. Oh yeah, they're attractive, but like the only ones I can really think in my head. Okay, you're gonna have to give your list too though, because this is very vulnerable of me right now. Okay. Um, so like, so male celebrities, I would say, um, do you know the actor Simon Baker? I he was, um, better he did this TV pieces. show called The Mentalist and he had a very small role in Devil Wears Prada and LA Confidential. When yes. He was He's Australian. He's in the Devil I Wears Prada. Him, yes. Yeah. So I find him very attractive. Okay. Um, I, I find Daniel Craig attractive. Yes, 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 yes. Like, yes. Um, we talked about this earlier, but Timothy Chalamet, yes. am I saying it right? Yes. Um, I Okay, I also understand why everyone is so big with Oscar Isaac, but I don't necessarily, it's not at the level of like Colin Firth, but it's just like, eh, mm-hmm. you know, Oscar Isaac, take it or leave it. Oscar Isaac, it's all about, uh, I think, his like body language for me that makes him more attractive. Um, but yeah, like I see it. Um, with the Simon um, Baker and with probably Daniel Craig. Also, yeah, and then also Idris Elba. Yes. I, um, yeah. Did you watch Luther? Yes. Oh my God, Luther's so good. 
I heard that they were going to do another season or like a movie. Oh, I didn't hear that. Oh, Chris Pine. Yes. Chris Pine is so good. And he was such a great uh, Captain Kirk, I have to say. I really liked him as Captain Kirk. Um, I fell in love with Chris Pine, though, in like 2005 when I went to New York City to visit my brother, your husband, Kendrick, who was was editing this episode. And instead of going to Broadway to see Wicked with the original cast... um, because certain people in our party were party poopers, we went to the movies and I saw Princess Diaries 2, a royal engagement. Kendrick was the party pooper? Is that what you're trying to insinuate? He was a party was pooper, but we also met up with our cousin who was equally a party pooper. Josh? Yeah. So uh-huh. the adults went to go see iRobot and we went, me and my mom went and saw Princess Diaries. Oh my god, that's hilarious! But we could have seen that's the funny. original Wicked cast. I've never seen that. Which See, one? I've never seen that. Princess Diaries. The Princess Diaries. You never saw the first one? Yeah. I've never seen. Yeah. Uh-uh. And there's two, right? Yeah, there's two. There. There's because I saw it on the, the plane that that was advertised, but I didn't. Yeah. I mean, it's very cheesy. It. It's like, I mean, it's very it's very cheesy teenage movie. Um, the first one's a lot better than the second one, but. I loved it. I loved it. It's it's a big part of my personality, I would guess. Yeah. Well, and yeah. So I, I didn't see that, but I do, I like him a lot, and I like um, I, I guess I would say, and, and maybe this is a whole different list, but I always think like Paul Newman, like mm. when he was in his like mm-hmm. starting out prime, very attractive. Cool hand, Luke. Cat big, on a hot tin roof. Oh, just big. Yeah, big big fan. He's so good. Um. And I love like how long he was married to his wife and mm-hmm. I don't know. I think he's cool. He is cool. So yeah, there's my list. Okay. Now you have to sh- share because that was really awkward. Okay. If anyone's even listening. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't care. I'm glad we're having this conversation. I don't think that that was like that vulnerable of a list. That was a really like, those are all normal. Those are all good picks. I guess I just, I guess I just don't talk a lot about like, I don't know. Your crushes? I've never really had conversations like that. All right. Um, yeah. Or like, yeah. Okay. I will... Go full vulnerability to make you feel better. Um, uh, I am a huge Tom Hiddleston fan. Huge. Like, it's... Uh, Okay, I'm getting your type. It's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big deal. I'm very into him. Um, I could get into it really deep, but I won't. Oh, (laughs) he he looks kind of like Benedict. I mean, yeah, British like men. Like they look, I get, I get them confused all the time. I don't blame you. They're both in the Marvel universe, and they both have wonderful British accents, and they're both theater actors. I did, I did. Like that's the thing. I don't think he's attractive, but I like him as an actor. Oh, like God. I enjoy watching him in movies. Like or like the Lo- the Loki show was great. I loved that show, he's and so I thought good. he was great in that. Have you seen the Night Manager? No. So that's like a John LeCar, um adaptation of the night the night manager it's on amazon prime and it's like i think a six episode series with hugh laurie and tom hiddleston and he is fan fucking tastic he's so good that sounds good the night manager yeah you would love it you would love it okay i'll check it out um and then oh god so tom hiddleston 
trying to think. I do love Timothy Chalamet. Um, I think he's he's fantastic. But I don't fangirl super hard over him. Um, ooh, Lee Pace. I have a big thing for Lee Pace. So he is okay. He's all these guys. He's six foot five. <laughs> okay, that's too. That's very tall. It's very tall, but he fills out well. He um he was in. This, I've never heard of him. Oh my god, he was in a great show. It got canceled after two seasons. It was so sad. It was called Pushing Daisies, and he's so cute in it. And then he, you know, pl- has all these other roles. But he plays Thranduil in the Hobbit movies. And he is... Oh, never saw any of those. He's a hot elf. I will just tell you that. Um, I also... I'm not a big Tolkien fan. You know... Um, like the Lord of the Rings, yeah, like all fair. the movies. Th- don't like any th- of... Don't like them. Don't like the books. I think that's fair. Um, I'm a big fan of them. But I will say, I think part of it might just be because I, for whatever reason, really like love characters with like white hair Wait, so did you find him so i pulled up this picture okay so you actually find his portrayal of the elf attractive because i'm yes. just looking at the picture do you also have the hots for lucius malfoy yeah like, oh my god really okay, i okay one of my biggest okay i will tell you like two of my biggest sexual awakenings <laughs> like me in like first grade first or second grade um watching the Labyrinth, David Bowie. That was a big moment Okay, for well, me. I... I mean, David Bowie's... Yeah, I think it was like the very long... Very attractive, but I, I don't find long, him attractive in that movie. The long, blonde, white hair. I find him very attractive in that movie. And um, I found... I remember when I went to go see the Peter Pan movie from like 2003 in the theaters, and the guy who plays Lucius Malfoy plays Captain Hook... And that movie is like overtly sexual for being a PG kids movie. And there's the scene where he's like shirtless and like dirty and he's like putting the hook on. And I, t- I swear to God, eight year old me was like losing my shit. I'm very attracted to that actor. That's so interesting. It's very weird. Um, I love. Um, oh. And I love The Witcher. Yeah, I, I Have you watched The Witcher at all? No. That's that the one with Henry Cavill. It is. It is. I think I watched one episode and then it's like I wanted to watch more of it, but then I just didn't. But it's like one I always think, well, I'll go back to it. Does that I make would sense? recommend going like, back to it. I think season two is going to be better. Um, one of the reasons why we watched it, we're actually rewatching it now in gear for season two. Um, and it's because we played, Brian played the game. And then, because there's like a bunch of Witcher games that are fantastic video games. And then I haven't read the books, but I know that they're they're based on some books that were like these German, hmm. originally they were published in German. Um, but I, you know, I'm not usually into Henry Cavill. Like I think he's like a little too pretty. But yeah, I'm not I don't find him attractive, but him as the witcher with long white hair and weird yellow eyes and he's just dirty all the time. I'm into it. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I'm still trying to figure out what childhood trauma brought this weird type of hobby, but I'm into it. I don't I don't think I don't think it's from trauma, but you like what you like. I mean, that's what it 
That's what it's all about. Like, we're all beautiful. It's all good. <laughs> like, really? Just because I don't know who the hell this Lee Pace guy is. And you know what? We would never be competing for affections of people. <laughs> That's great we were single and doing such things. <laughs> yeah. We would never have that. So that's good. Um, okay, well, that was a fun tangent. Yeah, so, congratulations. Like said, if you made it through our read- reading of the poem, you get to hear us talk about hot guys for like 20 minutes. I don't even know how it, I don't even know how it went there. How did we even get started with that? Oh, the whole cumber bitch thing. <laughs> cumber bitch, power okay. of the dog. <laughs> yeah, okay. So anyway, go pick up a copy if you have not already. Um, I think you're really going to like it. It's not a difficult read. You should get through it pretty quickly. Um, and we'll be discussing the movie as well. So if anything, watch the movie on Netflix mm-hmm. and then you'll at least have an idea of the story. So um, thanks, everybody. We hope you liked this. This was really fun to record. Yeah. Um, nice change of pace. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Um, and if you have any recommendations uh, for After the Power of the Dog, send us a DM or something. Yes, We'd please. love to hear what you guys would be interested in as well. So. Thanks, everybody. Happy Halloween.